Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. I'm Brian Bolt, kinesiology professor and men's golf coach at Calvin College. And I'm Chad Carlson, kinesiology professor and director of general education at Hope College. And we're coming to you again from the audio studio of Our Daily Bread, the organization whose mission is to bring the word of God to people all around the world through their publications and various methods of delivering the gospel. And we are really excited to do this podcast today, just like always, but maybe particularly uh, more excited today because we actually have an announcement. Yes. And while I don't oftentimes consider myself a clever person, maybe we're not the most clever, but I, we're going to try to we're going to try to package this in a way that, that might keep you intrigued here in a way that we don't usually. So when we get to the end of our conversation today, we will reveal our announcement. And the announcement has to do with the Congress that we're getting excited about uh, starting in October this year. And it has to do with, and we'll just reveal this part of it, we have a new keynote speaker. And so uh, you can maybe... Um, think about who that might be, but I think you'll recognize this person's name. Yes, this is a big name, and we are very excited about this. What, are you going to reveal anything else right now, or, or are we going to save everything till the end? Well, let's see. Let's give uh, maybe one or two clues here to get people thinking about it, because they probably won't be listening to us anyway, right? Okay. Let me... Okay, I'll give, I'll give one clue here. Okay. You and I both have double initials, BB, Brian Bolt, CC, Chad Carlson, this person has also a double initial double initial you know what that is such a good clue we're gonna leave it right there (laughs) good morning chad how are you on this uh nice spring day here in 2019 i am doing well and how about you i guess i'm more i'm more concerned about you this is this is golf season ncaa college golf season for uh, for men's teams across the country you are in the midst of your golf season how you doing you know, I'm hanging in there. I absolutely love golf season. I love uh, competing. I love practicing. I love being able to spend time with my guys. But every year, I'm a little uh, kind of back at the amount of energy and time it takes to be in season. So it's really interesting uh, with other work that you have to have uh, done. Um, I I can leave it all when I head out on the golf course. So we had a tournament yesterday, and you know you get started early in the morning, and you head off. Uh, have to travel, and once you travel the golf course, it's about an hour to prepare. It takes about five, five and a half hours to play, and then you come back home after you get a little food. So it's a it's a long and tiring day out in the sunshine, but that is uh, that's a great price to pay. I really enjoy being out there. Team is uh, is playing pretty well, and we're getting ready for the stuff that. Uh, gets really exciting, which will be our MIAA uh, Automatic Qualifier Championships, which come up in about a week and a half. You know, golf is such a time-intensive sport, so certainly that's a, you know, that's part of the energy drain there. But it's interesting how um, you said, I can I can leave everything else that I'm doing, my other, other jobs, other roles when I'm out on the golf course. And that coaching sort of consumes so much of your mental energy, right? And that that ends up sort of dominating our lives, I, I feel like, no matter what level you're coaching, sport kind of gobbles up time and mental energy and, and anything else that sort of, it's, 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 it's not really a distraction. In fact, it's the main thing so often, right? I think 
this might be getting into the weeds a little bit for people that aren't professional coaches, which you and I have spent time. We get paid for being mm-hmm. coaches. But when you have a sport and the um, the intensity of that sport and the attraction of that sport tends to, at least for all the other professionals that I know, tends to really dominate other aspects of a person's work or job. And that's one of the dangers, right? It's one of the things that because there's such passion in sport and because there's such a desire uh, and immediacy in sport, right? So you're right right there in front. And and I also think because it's so public, there are certain aspects of our jobs where if we do them okay, people don't know. Mm -hmm. And if we do them wonderfully, people don't know. And so because of that public nature, because people are going to know how you're going to perform, and I always think of that too when I think of our student-athletes. Golf is, I always tell the guys on my team, uh, they don't really realize it because they've been doing it their whole lives, but it's really courageous to go out there and, you know, their scores from yesterday are posted for people to see, right? And Hmm. the media um, centers of each of the different institutions, and if it's at a higher level, uh, professional level, you get uh, the media telling you everyone what you're doing all the time. And I think it's really challenging to kind of put your reputation, your professional reputation or your athletic reputation on the line every time that you go out. So I think it's really courageous actually to go out and do that. And in golf, there's nowhere to hide. Yeah, you're laying yourself bare, especially in an individual sport. But certainly there are some team sports where that's the case as well. But so often what what I find in basketball is that there are there are, there are other factors I can blame things on, a teammate or a coach or whatever, or a referee. whatever else. Or a referee or whatever yeah. else, right? And in golf, I agree, like like it would be in, for instance, tennis or I suppose when you're up up at the plate in baseball or softball where it, things are laid bare, right? It's, it's You are are you are um, exposing yourself to the vulnerabilities of, of sport, right? And um, whatever happens, happens, and it, it it is a reflection on you in, in some ways, right? Or at least your abilities. And and golf seems to me a pretty prime example that we have a quantified number that indicates how well you did and there is no hiding from that. You can talk about the weather, but that would only be in regards to how you did against the course. There's still the competitors that you, you compare yourself to in that very easy to tell number. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, you know, a 68 that was jaded by, well, my teammates weren't helping me. Or, uh, I, I assume yeah, you, you would great, really love a player to have a, a 68, example. but, you know, yeah. mid-70s that, uh, um, you know, no, it was you. Everybody plays the same 18 holes, and, and uh, make no mistake, golfers find their own retreat space just like other sports. I mean, uh, our, a group of players that don't play very well together, they'll sit around the table afterward, and they'll start talking through the bad luck that they yes, got you know yes, so there's right. there's a number of different sort of retreat spaces where you know um every lie i got was in in a divot every uh time i went in a bunker it plugged there's there's always those explanations that mm-hmm. nobody knows and so just among golfers they like to just get that out but the truth is everybody plays the same 18 holes and you turn in a scorecard and really the only part that anybody cares about is what what numbers are on that card and so it is, uh, it is challenging, and when that game starts going south, when you start uh, not playing well, there's no escape. You can't sit on the bench. You right. can't be pulled by right. a coach. Right. Guess what? If you hit one in the woods, you go find it. And you're not done until you're done. And so that's the challenging part, the mental challenge of golf, that there's just 
I always say like we'll have 50. I mean, we played a tournament this week and there are 120 college students on the golf course. And uh, I always say it's it's 120 guys having a bad day because that's <laughs> how golf is. It's, they're all feeling like they could have done better than they did. Right. Nobody walk. Nobody walks off the golf course and says, "You know, I just played uh, exactly the way I wanted to today." There's always something, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's more unique to golf than other sports. I think sometimes you can walk off a basketball court, and I've done this, right? Where you you walk off, and maybe you didn't make every shot, but you don't think about it that way. Right. Golf, it's always that one putt I missed. Mm-hmm. Right. Nobody ever thinks about that thirty footer that you know I hit in the wrong spot and it still rolled in. You know, there's all these different positive things that happen, but golf, you tend to think about the missed opportunities. Right, right. So one of our one of our keynote speakers at the conference, Scott Kretschmar, talks about the, the difference between time-regulated events, basketball, football, soccer, and event-regulated sports, mm. which are you have to complete, you know, 27 outs or 18 holes in this case. And that that allows you even less space to be able to to hide and to retreat. You have to complete, in order to have played golf, you have to complete the amount of holes that you set out to complete. And there's no clock that you can, you know, take your time to be able to uh, allow, you know, the end to come quicker in some ways without having to actually fully expose yourself. No, no, no. You have to finish. You have to put the ball in the hole no matter how many strokes it takes you uh, if you're playing in a competitive golf match. And that makes it very difficult, right? There's just no clock to save you. Yes. And as a coach, and I've coached uh, other sports as well, uh, and when I've coached, there's always this this feeling that you can um, you can prop a player up. In golf, it is just a, an entirely different level of complexity when you're trying to prop a player up because you you can pull a person out in other sports. You can use that substitution pattern you can uh, use halftime right you can there are different moments when you can restart in golf there's a different hole but the score doesn't go away and so you know I had uh, some uh, a player yesterday who started by you know hooking his first ball lost and mm-hmm. hitting a second one and and uh, ultimately just spending the first five minutes of a golf tournament looking for a golf ball and just knowing I've just tortured my score here in the and I've got five hours to go but I've uh, and so the mental strain that it takes the Mm -hmm. ability to try to recover from that and so we we do talk a lot about how to do that how to how to play when things aren't going well and really great players I have found not only have to do that the the difficulty for a great player is how do I play well or how do I uh, perform well when things are going well, because prosperity is even harder to deal with in golf. Hmm. Guys that um, start out with a double bogey and then a bogey and then another double, they've done that a lot in life, right? You, they've done that enough because golf is hard, mm-hmm. and they go out and do that. What they haven't done is started birdie, par, birdie, birdie, and been able to deal with that level of prosperity. In fact, they feel like they're going to regress to the mean somehow <laughs> in their – in their person, they're just unable to live with that level of prosperity. And so the really good golfers learn how to deal with prosperity as much as they learn to deal with adversity. And that's a whole other level that I don't think most golfers get to. Yeah. You know, the, the expectations, I suppose, uh, you know, change our mindset in so many ways that 
I, I, I get what you're saying. If you start in the way that you sort of expect to start or you start a little bit below, that, that tempers your expectations. And then any success or any prosperity then we, we take as um, unexpected, which is wonderful in some ways, right? And, then, and yet if we start really high, really well, um, things we, we think things can only go south, and therefore we sort of expect that they'll go south. And if we expect that, it likely will happen. You get the self-fulfilling prophecy. Sure. That's exactly right. So I, I think that, uh, thanks for asking, golf is, uh, it, it kind of consumes my life during this time, but it's a, it's, it's a fun um, thing to pour my energy into. Hmm. And uh, even though it sort of drains my energy, I, I find a way to uh, just sort of get myself back up for each new moment. And uh, it has a season. And that's one of the great things about sport. It has a time of intensity, and then it has a, uh, a time of um, at least uh, a lower level of output and energy. And so we pour a lot into it during a certain time, and then there's rest. Hmm. And when we think about rest, um, one of the things that we've been looking at as well is just this idea of rhythm, rhythm of life and, and rhythm in sport. And we've talked about it in other circumstances. I don't know if we've talked about it in reference to, to golf, but we just ended a college basketball season on a, on a Monday night. Coincidentally, I always wonder like how many different, um, final events happen on Monday night. It just seems kind of <laughs> odd because everyone that's exactly uh, stay up late at night on a Monday night and uh, watch a, a basketball game, the NCAA National Championship for Division One, And that basketball game went into overtime, right, which was even more time. Mm-hmm. And as we, as we go through this rhythm, right, we have this opportunity to think about just sort of the end of something, and then the start of something new. Tell me about, uh, as you think through your basketball seasons, how you have uh, dealt with those times just after or those moments just after where you've poured all this intense energy into it. How have you dealt with sort of that psychological change? And then maybe how have you reflected on things since then as you thought about your use of time? Well, it's a, it's a distinct change in, in identity in some ways for me that that there's um at the end of a season a really in, intense season and I, I guess i haven't experienced a whole lot of seasons in terms of sports that i didn't feel like were, were super intense um you know love the rhythms of the next thing and it's not that you know i, I feel like at times when i was a, a, a player to end a basketball season it felt a little bit like i, I felt guilty at how 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 good i felt about being done with a season, for instance. And it wasn't that I didn't love my sport um, in, in, intensely, I did. And yet there was something that was refreshing about sort of being at this next stage, this next phase, knowing that, that it's cyclical, knowing that it was gonna come back around. Um, that was always interesting for me and something that I never felt fully comfortable with. Um, you know that feeling of, of of guilt at how good I felt after a season was done, both as a player and I was would say as as a coach. Uh, as much as I loved being in the season, being out of the season also offered some unique rhythms and some some rest and relaxation, I suppose, from a mental standpoint um, that you just you can't have 
during the season or you you don't have, you don't allow yourself I don't know what it is. No, I think you really tapped into something there. You use the word guilt, which hmm. is kind of interesting because I think I've I know I've felt it as well, right? This is the ultimate goal in sport is to keep going. Mm-hmm. Right? And so there there are those teams like last night that make it to that final moment, but most don't, right? Most right. Right. fall away at some level in a final tournament because just about every sport has a culminating event that is an elimination kind of event where you go as far as you can go and then you're done. Mm -hmm. And that feeling of intensity that we bring to our sport, we wonder, I mean, somewhere along the way, something about the activity we're doing is so ultimately draining that we just want to get free of it which I think is worthwhile for all of us to acknowledge and maybe then look back and say, what was it about what we did that required us to get to this place where we wanted to be free of it? And does that, does that say something about us? Right. Well, we certainly, you know, if there's uh, one of many things that you and I are guilty of, I, I would imagine it's um, allowing sport to sort of overtake uh, our lives at certain periods of time or certain seasons and um, you know we're not alone in that way I would say either because you look at the at least the American sporting landscape um, and the fact that we have these national championships on Mondays just shows that the weekend's not big enough for sports (laughs) right I mean we have to extend it we extend it on the back end for college basketball and college football and 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 NFL football it has to spill over into into Mondays but you know so many sports golf NFL also they they Bump it up to Thursdays for a start for for certain events, right? I mean, it's to get just, more games in to, get, to make yeah. it more a part of our lives, right? It sort of gobbles things up our time, our, our energy. It gobbles up our schedules, and mm-hmm. we're not alone with that. So we allow that. And I suppose for those of us that are a part of particular seasons from a professional perspective, um, you know, there's there's um, there's an intensity unlike that of spectators, where we can watch sports every night of the week. Um, and that's fun, but we have our identities outside of that. When you're a coach or a player, you're you're a part of that. Um, but allowing allowing that to ha- are we allowing that to happen? Do we have control over that? I guess I'm not even sure. You know what kind of control we have because I look at you and your position right now, and um, you know you allow that to overtake your mental energy and it drains you from you know some of the other things that you need to be doing on campus. You still do those things. Sport drains you, but if you don't allow it to sort of usurp or, or commandeer so much of your identity during the season, you're not going to be the golf coach all that much longer. Well, and I'll tell you, that is the great challenge of sport. It is the great challenge of those people that are around people like us. So I, I think of spouses, for instance, who yeah. may not have the same level of buy-in, right? So right. A, a spouse says, yeah, I, I really want to, whether it's male or female, I really want to buy into what you have going. I want to support what you're doing. But they don't have the same level of uh, attraction to or passion, uh, and so they, when they look at that passion, they see it more as sometimes obsession yeah. that needs to be curbed, and and that line between passion and obsession is razor thin, and so you get to a certain place uh, where al- allowing some of those voices, at least for me, to to speak into your life and. And really, we're, we're picking on sport today a little bit that way because it does bring that level of intensity. But uh, various forms of, of work obviously can um, invade our lives to the, to the extent that they need to be checked 
certainly checked by the people around us that helps but also checked within our own hearts as we think about them some of the uh, hobbies that we get engaged in that become uh, obsessive can can again uh, really benefit from some outside eyes taking a look at it and helping us out as we think about it but I also think uh, as you mentioned sport requires for us to really yield something out of sport for us to really get to the place that um, that allows sport to give us something back, what we're looking for, that exhilaration, that joy that we're trying to get from sport, we have to pour a lot into it. We can't go halfway yeah. in sport, and that's what makes it so difficult to keep in, in check. In some ways, it's because of the competitive nature of sport that, um, you know, it, it, one of the ways for me to try to outdo my opponents or to beat to beat them is to put more into it more more you know uh, intangible ways sometimes more time that is on my skills um, and so I'm, I'm putting a lot in there but um, you know that that is, is in some ways sort of required of us well how much more time can we give at some of the top levels there isn't more time to give and we have rules in our college athletics in America that you can't put in more than X amount of time officially um, because we realize that in our, our pursuit of victory, our pursuit of um, glory or whatever comes along with being the best or being near the best um, is this sort of um, overwhelming sense that we can always be doing more and should always be doing more. doesn't seem like a healthy perspective if it's put in those terms, does it? It doesn't. And it's interesting, too, that uh, these organizations that you talk about, so there are seasons and there are rules about seasons. So the NFL, the Major League Baseball, all the NCAA levels, one, two, three, they all have restrictions built in. Well, yeah. why do you need restrictions built right. in? I mean, it's a fun <laughs> thing to do. Why would we restrict it? Right. Because uh, there's there are not only... Uh, the people that are professionally involved, but there are also athletes involved. And because of the um, obsession that both can have and the synergy of both coaches and athletes coming together with that ultimate competitive goal, because of that, people want to squeeze more uh, out of life or out of every moment that they possibly can in pursuit of that goal. And so it's interesting that these external organizations aren't forcing you to do work. They're, they're forcing you to do less. Right. It's, interest, it's just an interesting uh, aspect because I don't know that there are other, I mean, there are labor unions, unions, things like that, that sort of try to restrict certain things. But sport has this unique uh, governor that uh, every organization tries to, to find a way to keep you from going crazy. Right almost like to protect us from ourselves. And, you know, you're talking about sort of high-level amateur sports. I think you're, you're talking about college sport. And I'm always uh, um, a bit, I don't know, I don't know how to, how to respond to the fact that, you know, in, even in the NFL, we have players who are sort of making, you know, tons of money to play football, mm -hmm. uh, are also, you know, the sort of acting as a union too and saying, we, we don't want to play more games. We don't want to have more practices uh, in which we're in full uniforms, in some ways because of their health. But it's it's interesting to think of football as this game. Any game we play, you know, it's it's there's a voluntariness to it in, in some ways, right? At least at the at the root, that 
these sports are are play and we supposed engage in be, them right You're right they're supposed to be but yeah. they have consumed our lives so much or they can consume our lives especially as participants in such a way that um, we need to put caps on it for our own good or there are other groups that need to put caps on it for us for our own good and so that this is sort of uh, systemic within our sporting organizations and our sporting bureaucracy but to get back to golf I think about um, you know sort of the an, an adult male who might get into playing golf. This is a sport that has always struck me as one that is as obsessed over as any hmm. in America. And you think about um, everything surrounding the sport of golf. You think about the ways in which um, it takes up so much time and that in, in order to to have it not be a bad day, you have to be decent at it, which means you have to play a lot. It's a tough skill. It's a tough sport. Um, that draws in so much of our time uh, maybe not necessarily more than other sports, but in, in what I think to be unique ways um, as a sport. I've always felt that as I've walked into sort of sporting goods stores and you see uh, so much of it dominated by, by golf throughout the spring and the summer, um, there is a lot that plays into that. And, I don't, and again, I don't think that golf is unique and that it, it is a sport that we obsess over, but it seems to me that it's a, it's a recreational pursuit for men that um, that that they take so very seriously, and you can continue to do that throughout your entire life. And maybe that's it. Yeah, no, I think you're tapping into something. One, you can do it throughout your entire life, right? There are certain sports where it's just hard to, you know, nobody goes out and plays pickup football after organized, right? Nobody keeps <laughs> a helmet in their trunk, right? Right, right. Uh, and and there are other sports that just physically you can't do at the same level, but golf, because you're grounded and, and because there's no competitor in front of you, you can continue to play uh, poorly for the rest of your life. Sure. Right? So that there's that. But I also think, too, it is um, it, it can fall into the same category that you're talking about where uh, various aspects of life are neglected in favor of golf, uh, and that might be a financial choice. That might be a time choice, very often a time choice. I'm a person who I, I came to golf later in life uh, because I played other sports and then uh, really enjoyed it in my early, sort of early 20s and, and uh, got better at it and really started to study the game and enjoyed that aspect of it. But then when my kids were born, um, basically put my clubs in the basement for about 10, 12 years. Hmm. Um, and really that choice was one of, uh, I, I think reflection. Um, I, I wasn't, uh, it wasn't like my family was obsessed with golf or my dad would go out and play golf all the time. Um, and so, but I just wanted to be there as a father, especially on a Saturday morning. Uh, when it's really challenging then for, for families, especially with young kids, I just wanted to be there. And I talked to a, a, like other generations or, or different people that have said, you know, uh, my dad particularly, my dad wasn't there ever on a Saturday morning because he was never going to miss or a Sunday morning and yeah, he was right. never going to miss. Um, and so I, I think those are things where I tried to look at that and said, I think I have a family commitment here. And that was a faith commitment for me, a decision saying uh, this is this is a main priority. And some of the things that I enjoy doing are going to have to take a back seat. Uh, and so I think of those times and the intentional choices I made then 
and uh, how easily that erodes over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's one of the things I constantly uh, want to be checked on because our obsessions can take us over as, as we go. Uh, I'm not sure how invested I would be in golf at this point if I wasn't a golf coach, but it is interesting that that particular game tends to draw, particularly in the United States, but maybe all over the world, men. Um, it is their their space, uh, often the, the escape, uh, which can be an excellent thing, and just like every excellent thing can be a bad thing. Yeah, an escape, that's so interesting too. I mean, I, I, you think about... Um, you know the benefits of golf, and certainly there's there's a camaraderie aspect, but there's also you know it it maybe fulfills some of our competitive needs, for instance. Um, but looking at at golf compared to some other sports, you know you think about uh, the amount of time it takes. That even if you're just going to play nine holes, you are you drive up to the course, you immediately go to the first tee, you play around nine holes, you get off the course and you leave. That's still going to be two two and a half hours likely at least oh, yeah, um, at least at least and that's not to say you know if if you're doing any warm up if you're taking any any shots uh, any swings on the the driving range going to the putting green to and practice. most serious golfers would tell you nine holes isn't golf right right right, right. Yeah. so i'm i'm trying to say sort of at bare minimum and then comparing mm-hmm. that to something else you might do as you know for camaraderie or or um, you know for recreation or whatever else you go for a jog and it's 20 30 minutes and you're done right you go play pickup basketball and it's an hour maybe a little hour and a half and, and you're done. Um, but there's just that, that amount of time right. that it takes for golf, for instance. Right. Um, golf, I, I always say, you know, people ask about it because I'm a golf coach, and I'm like, yeah, well, they say, how much do you play in the summer? I would say, well, golf takes time and money. Um, and those things are always in short supply, right? And so mm-hmm. you start thinking about what what is this taking from my life? Uh, so ultimately... People are making choices about this all the time. Uh, golf can be an excellent place for camaraderie, an excellent place for, or like you said, developing our skill, enjoying the competition. Uh, when lives retreat, uh, and sometimes I see this happen, and uh, I find it a little bit, um, I, at least I have questions about it. Um, people are very productive. People are very giving, very servant-oriented, and then retirement hits, and golf kind of takes the new spot. Hmm. I've seen that happen uh, a number of times where people will play four, five, six, seven times a week yeah. Um, yeah. In, in a retirement setting. And it's just an interesting phenomenon that um, work uh, has consumed most of a person's time. And then when freed up, when there's discretionary time, golf is ready. It's right there yeah. for you, ready to take that time. You know, in that sense, it's really well suited um, to uh, to fit some some human needs, right? Some recreational needs, right. and that uh, you have someone who is used to working eight, ten, twelve hours a day for their career, and all of a sudden they stop. What's going to fill that? Yeah, golf. Golf can take up you know big chunks of that time. <laughs> you know, again, you can extend. Uh, it's not two and a half hours. You're not playing. You know, if you play real golf, you're playing eighteen, five, you know, four or five hours. Yeah. Driving range, putting green. Yep. Nineteenth hole. You know all of those all of those things that uh, that can gobble up some of that time. It seems like a really, you know, an activity that can really fill a, a void in, in one's identity if there is a void there, if there's a major change. But it can also sort of take over when when there's it can creep in when there's not open space in one's identity to be filled. Right. So we've talked about both of those now. We have now, and I think we've scratched the surface on 
on two topics that I think we'll have to revisit in the next few podcasts. Well, when I we hope start, so. Yeah, exactly. So when we start thinking about this idea of rhythm of life and rest, the Bible has something to say about that. It has a lot to say about uh, how we order our lives and to reflect on that and try to make applications to the work that we do, that we're called to do, to the recreation that we're uh, free to take part in. Those are the types of conversations that Christians around the world have um, sometimes avoided, largely because it's kind of a painful one. We don't want to think about our, our time we, because it's exactly that. It's our time, and we want to be able to make our decisions about our time. The other thing that you talked about is identity and how sport can really uh, consume us to the point, to the level that we get our identity or a large chunk of our identity through a particular activity. It's interesting, like when a person uh, passes on, when a person dies and you go to the funeral, you'll often hear about their faith, their family, and the very next thing is the recreational passion of their life. Very often, loved fishing, right? And people will talk about that. Loved golf, and people will talk about that. It is a high priority in life. It helps give us identity. It's interesting uh, how these different things sort of fill those places, but the question is, should they? And those are some of the the interesting questions that we can try to ponder in this podcast. I do want to uh, sort of draw us to a close today and talk a little bit more about the Congress that is coming up October 23 through 27. These types of conversations will be happening and many, many more. We're really excited. We've had so many different um, submissions for presentations. There'll be keynote presentations, which we'll discuss in a second, but there will also be breakout sessions, lots and lots of different breakout sessions that will uh, really expand the number of subjects and topics that uh, are addressed at this, at this Congress. Over a hundred people have already turned in presentations for this Congress. And Chad, you've been looking over them. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the hard things about a conference is that you you put together a lineup of keynote speakers, which we have, and it's a it's a, a thick list, it's a robust list, and we're so excited about that. But there are always so many other people that would have such great things to say that you just can't fill in the keynote roles. And so we're so excited about the um, so far what's been submitted here for for smaller sessions, for parallel sessions, shorter papers, um, just a lot of of great topics coming from such a wide swath of people geographically and uh, from a, a, a sort of a, a work professional perspective. We've got people um, that are, that are going to be presenting on sort of sports chaplaincy, on the ministry that they're doing and the basis for that sports ministry, on theory, the ways in which uh, we apply biblical principles to sport, the ways in which we apply um, scholarly principles to faith and sport, um, it is such a, a wide swath. There is really, you know, I thought this would be the case, but I was saying it preemptively before some of these abstracts were submitted. There is something for everybody Wow! in some of these abstracts. And I am just so excited for how these are going to grow and turn into, into papers that are going to be, presentations that are going to be, um, I think, really engaging. Um, October 23 to 27, you know, just can't come quick enough. Jam-packed. 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 And you um, you did a great job sort of describing those breakout sessions, and we talked about a little bit that robust list of keynote speakers. And uh, we're going to actually end this 
podcast with a pretty significant bang here because we have actually one more name to add to that podcast list or sorry that um, keynote list and it's a name that I think just about everybody recognize yeah I would say so that's probably a bit of an understatement okay so when we think about the people that are in uh, our lineup for keynotes right now we have scholars from all around the world we have practitioners who have been thinking about uh, sport and faith and and those matters for many years one thing that uh, we did not have yet w- would be a person, even though you and I would consider ourselves former athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We really, we didn't have a person that um, maybe the world may know because of their athletic prowess. And we've added a person now to our keynote lineup that we're so excited has agreed to come and talk with us. In fact, this person is going to do probably two talks, one larger talk that we're going to invite the larger community to. And then one smaller, more intimate talk just for Congress participants. And I think uh, maybe a clue or two here. Uh, let's see. Um, this person is um, not Samson. Oh, Kelvin Samson? No, you, you mean... I'm talking about Samson from the Old Samson Testament. Samson from the Bible. Yes, Okay. Uh, but might be confused for... He's, he's kind of been compared. Sure, yeah. yeah. But never had long hair. Right, that's the unique thing. So clearly, um, nor is it Ehud, but he is <laughs> left-handed. Ooh. Ooh, not bad. Yes, nice or, or bad. Yeah, um, <laughs> and he's a multi-sport athlete. Anybody is anybody out there um, drawing any any connections? I wonder. I know a few multi-sport athletes. Boy, they're becoming more and more rare, aren't they? They are. No. Right. It uh, adds to, to this person's prestige. Well, and to be able to do things on a on a professional level in two sports is is really uh, an amazing feat. We just don't see that happen uh, very often. So to be uh, a viable professional player, that's just rare. Uh, this person has uh, won some notable awards. Um, yes, I'm yes. thinking of one more uh, one particular one award. In award. Particular. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Do you think we've teased this enough, Chad? <laughs> I would say so. On uh, Thursday, October 24, uh, author, uh, athlete, and uh, person known for um, really authentic Christian faith, uh, Tim Tebow will be showing up at our at the Congress. Uh, kind of exciting, Chad. What do you think? Yes, Tim Tebow. Just sort of saying that name kind of uh, excites me, right? This is, man, this is such a great, uh, we, we are just so pumped about having Tim Tebow be a part of this. So as directors of this Congress, we were really excited about the the lineup that we had in place, but we, we considered, we continued to sort of think through and pray through whether or not this Congress needed someone that uh, was a recognizable name to not only scholars, but also people just in general, people that would, would uh, be um, lovers of sport for the most part. Yeah, we, we had, you know, we have geographic diversity. We had um, in our keynote lineup before Tim Tebow, we had, um, you know, uh, professional, I would say, diversity. We had, um, you know, diversity in a number of different ways, but we didn't have a Heisman Trophy winner. <laughs> and so we kind of thought, hey, are, is there is there a guy we can find that might be strong in his faith and a Heisman Trophy winner? Uh, yeah, I didn't have one. You didn't have one. No, um, I, nope, I, I did not win so one. So close, no. yeah. 
So we do. We're excited to just announce that Tim Tebow will be uh, giving two uh, lectures, essentially. He will uh, do a noontime lecture, which will, much more information will come out. Uh, uh, that'll be on October 24. And uh, not only will Congress participants be invited to that, we're going to do that in a large arena on the campus of Calvin, at, by that point, Calvin University. Uh, and so it'll uh, seats about 5,000. We expect that uh, we may pack that place out with interested folks. We're going to try to get a lot of student athletes in there from local high schools and uh, colleges and universities. And so uh, we'd really like to, uh, to, to just make this more of a, a community event so people will drive in and, and come see Tim Tebow speak. And uh, Tim will talk about a number of different topics there. But if, if you're really interested in him, he has just released a book. Um, in the last uh, several months, and that was the third of his uh, books, and so you can kind of figure out more about his life that way. Um, Tim is currently still a uh, minor league baseball player, so he'll be coming right off the field. That's the end of the season, essentially, for minor league baseball players, and he'll be coming to see us right from there. That is, unless, of course, he gets called up to the major leagues this year, which could be really interesting as well. Coming off a of baseball season and, and heading into um, uh, football broadcasting. Right. So another aspect of his life right now is that he is um, a, a professional broadcaster for the SEC Network, and he works for ESPN. And so he's got a lot of things going on, uh, does appearances in many ways. Came out with a movie recently. Yeah. Um, so he's a, he's a very busy person, so we're actually just thrilled that he's decided to join us. The second part of his talk, uh, after the big talk is over, we will bring him into a, a smaller uh, setting at Calvin College, and that part is just going to be a question and answer for participants of the Congress only. So that would be a great opportunity to just really hear uh, what... Uh, experiences Tim has had and his reflections on those experiences, particularly as it relates to being a professional athlete and being a Christian and being and known for both, uh, which is um, not rare, but uh, it is a challenge. It's one of those things that it would be great to hear some of the things that have that have gone on in his life, some of the really difficult struggles that have come from uh, that public identity. Yeah, what is rare is how well he's done that, how well he's been able to walk that line of, of being you know, steadfastly uh, Christian in his faith and in his views uh, in the way he lives his life, but also uh, such a, a, a prominent uh, a figure in, in American culture. So we have much more to talk about uh, with regard to Tim Tebow, and we'll continue to talk about that here on this podcast. But for today, we will sign off. Thanks for listening again to this episode of Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. And we're excited, and we're out. <laughs>